It's your boy, Captain Hunter, coming at you again. Thank you so much for your love, your support, for tuning in. Uh, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for um, the, the growth of the podcast and all that kind of good stuff. Please make sure that you rate, subscribe, and share. It helps with the analytics. It helps to get my name out there and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, you can support the podcast through Cash App, PayPal, Venmo. Uh, Cash App, Venmo, or CPTL Hunter. PayPal is uh, C-A-P-T-H-U-N-T-E-R. I can be reached at CPTLHunter at gmail.com if you want to drop me a line or have a show suggestion or someone you think I should uh, interview or anything along those lines. I'm always up for a good interview and looking to always looking for show guests and topics and everything like that. Some people have reached out to me and I'm working on those topics. If you reached out to me, I promise you I'm working on those topics. Some of them are a little more difficult to secure people, uh, persons who want to come on the podcast and talk about these different uh, important subjects, but I am working on them. If I can't get anyone, uh, I'll, I'll just do the show myself and just do a, a little, uh, you know, blurb about my own research and what I found and everything like that. Head on over to the website, HunterPoliceTraining.com. If you are wanting to be a police officer, you know, someone who wants to be a police officer, someone who wants to take a promotional examination. And remember, it's not just for police officers. Maybe you, I can help prepare you for an oral interview for corrections or for corporate jobs or anything like that. Um, so don't just think that this is just solely, solely for police services. Some people struggle with um, getting those interviews uh, or nailing those interviews. Um, so I can help you with everything like that. So uh, just make sure that you uh, hit me up and we'll see what we can do. HunterPoliceTraining.com, CPTLHunter at gmail.com. Uh, so for today, we're going to talk about the importance of being an entrepreneur as what I'm trying to do and what other people are trying to do, right? They, they have the full-time job and, uh, they have a side hustle that they really want to, to blow up and take off and all that kind of good stuff. So we're going to talk about that. And so uh, part of my, um, uh, business as I was really kind of struggling with the marketing piece of it. So through a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, actually, I got to, uh, say Mr. Tahari Jackson, uh, uh, Dr. Tahari Jackson set us up uh, because uh, she was helped. This is a friend of uh, Dr. Tahari Jackson's uh, who started her own um, marketing business. And I got to say, she did an excellent job. She presented um, she presented a, a an outline for me and things to do in order to get my name out there amongst the public. I've been doing a lot of the uh, the things that she has suggested. Uh, some more things I need to do uh, if I can ever, ever find the time to do them. But I got to say that the business ideas and plans and marketing strategies that uh, my guest for today has suggested, uh, I think, are really great and talented. She's talented, and they and the the marketing suggestions are on point. So today we're going to talk about the importance of uh, creating your own, trying to leave something for your kids, being an entrepreneur. Uh, I think this is particularly important within the black community. I think it's particularly important uh, in the Hispanic community. And I think it's important in the white community as well, right? It's particularly if you're in, in a small town and, uh, you know, we have these Walmarts and these dollar stores that come in there, they hire one or two people uh, and, you know, the little guy uh gets pushed aside and i think that that has been wrong i think that that uh, creates uh, a dependency upon uh, these corporations to do something that uh, independent family-owned businesses the mama pop stores uh should have been doing and were at one time doing but they were bought out by big time corporations who don't want to give life insurance and health insurance and all this kind of crazy stuff so i think it's extremely important that we look at the state of where we are and where we want to go and i think one of the things we have to do is really take a look at our finances and really try to get back to the basics so become an entrepreneur 
Uh, if you've got some talents or some ideas, make sure that you are trying to do the best that you can in order to um, uh, in order to go forth in your talents. So don't let anyone ever tell you no or that you can't or anything along those lines. So having said that, ladies and gentlemen, my special guest for today is Miss Karen Moore. She's going to introduce herself. Uh, if you have some marketing ideas or strategies or you want to uh, uh, have someone market your ideas and don't know how to go about it, please make sure that you reach out to Miss Karen Moore. Here we go. All right. Ready, as ready as I'm going to be. Okay, so uh, we are here with Ms. Karen Moore. Thank you so much for being on Captain Hunter's podcast. And I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to the audience. Um, and uh, there you go, Ms. Karen Moore. Thank you so much for being here. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Just, just a pleasure to be on your podcast this Sunday afternoon, talking to your audience. Um, so I'm Karen Moore. We actually met through um, a business partnership. I um, am a consultant to small business owners and I focus on helping small business owners to prioritize their goals and be able to reach their business objectives in a more streamlined and efficient manner. Um, so if you think about the life cycle of a business, you know, um, most businesses are either in a uh, startup launch phase or you're in a growth phase or maturing and trying to grow your reach and market share. And so I like partnering with business owners who have already launched, they have a well-defined business or an idea, product or service, um, know it's a proven product or service and idea, but they're looking for um, more knowledge and more support in launching in, I'm sorry, not launching, but growing and expanding what they're doing. Um, so making sure that um, whatever you've established, I want to partner with you as a consultant and um, help you to make it sustainable and scalable. Yep. So I have started K-More Consulting Group as of last year, and I've had you as one of my clients, uh, three other business owners, and I've taken on my fourth client this month. Awesome. I'm glad to yep. hear that. So what, mm -hmm. I hope that this podcast and uh, can serve as an advertisement to you. Uh, certainly, I'm serving as an advertisement to you uh, because you, I did uh, employ your services. I was extremely pleased with uh, the homework and the assignments that you gave. Uh, and so it was really, really, um, really beneficial. And so that business partner that we had, is who I call my ray of sunshine, Ms. Dr. Dahari uh, Jackson, uh, who have I had on the uh, actually she's been on like three times, uh, two or three times oh, wow. on my podcast. I can't remember. Yes, I, I probably should remember, but definitely um, but at least anyway. twice. I've watched you guys twice. <laughs> okay, is it? Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> so okay, so so anyway, so she's been very good, very knowledgeable, and so she has, she introduced us, and so. You know, I started my own small business as far as uh, my own consulting services, and I really wanted to grow and kind of uh, have it go in a, in a certain direction. Um, so let me just ask you about uh, your, you, what made you decide to get into the consulting business? Well, I actually, uh, my day job, and, and I'm still working full time as my current title is a technology solutions manager. So I support enterprise level applications for a nonprofit. Um, but my field of expertise is product management, and product management is the uh, it field that works mostly with uh, people who are developing a product and then people who are selling and marketing the product. So you're kind of the, the sweet spot in between to ensure what we're developing is actually what 
customers want and what they need. And so you develop an expertise in being able to uh, refine a product or either grow a product um, or service from inception to launch. And I've taken those skills that I've, I've gained over the last 12 years as a senior product manager and realized that sometimes um, small business owners don't, you know, so m most small business owners have an area of expertise in their particular field, right? They're, they're subject matter experts in their field, but sometimes um, we lack the knowledge or skills to actually manage our product or service as a business. So we know the, we know the, we know the industry, but we don't necessarily always know business. That knowledge usually comes from having a business degree or an MBA um, or working in large organizations and businesses. You get to see what it's like to develop a business and grow it. Um, and so I've had the, the benefit and privilege of being able to work with uh, th three large major organizations that were either mid-sized companies or a global company like Pearson um, Education. I've worked at Morris Communications, which was a mid-sized newspaper media company um, in the South. And then most recently, I'm working for a large network of nonprofit organizations called Stand Together. Um, so I've been able to work kind of indirectly with small business owners who were the recipients of these products over the years. And what I've seen is that a lot of times small business owners will either struggle to grow their reach and their market share. Um, a lot of times they are either not adequately funded or just don't have the ability to pivot as quickly when um, disruptive innovation hits their particular field. Um, and so what I want to do is really be able to partner with small businesses and um, help them either um, grow their reach, um, sustain the, the current customers they have, and even grow more customers, um, and be able to adjust their business models so that they can be able to respond to, you know, industry changes or things that come in and disrupt their business. Okay, very good. I said a mouthful there. Um, <laughs> <Sorry about> that. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so when I think of nonprofit, you said you work for a nonprofit. You currently work for a nonprofit. Yes. Okay. So when I think of nonprofits, I think of uh, those companies that uh, do uh, try to get, you know, homeless kids off the street or something along those lines. Is, am I, is that something that you work? Is that what your nonprofit does? So our, the nonprofit I work for um, usually partners with social entrepreneurs and they are companies. Uh, they, they partner with social entrepreneurs by funding them. Okay. So they uh, the stand together usually uh, does fundraising with large donors. And then they take the donations that come from large donors and funnel it to your to mostly smaller social entrepreneurs that need either management consulting services themselves or just funding to be able to expand what they're doing. Um, and so they'll they'll again have major fundraisers twice a year, and then have an application process where they are providing funding for smaller nonprofits who are doing social good. And those will be activities to either reduce poverty, reduce recidivism. Um, improve education opportunities. Um, what else? They've 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 um, funded grants for a program that I'm really familiar with. My son is actually part of it called Year Up, and it's kind of a boot camp training program for young people. I want to say between the ages of 18 to 24 that want that aren't may not necessarily be in college, um, are primarily unemployed, and they'll provide them with job training skills like uh, computer programming, um, project management office management, office administration. So you go through a boot camp program and are connected with an internship at the end of that program. So Year Up is one of the, um, one of the social entrepreneurial like, um, nonprofits 
that are going to be receiving funding from the company that I work with. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> so you, met, you mentioned disruptive innovation. Uh, does COVID that we're dealing with right now count as one of those types of things? <laughs> innovation is usually a good thing, right? Okay. Uh, my, well, one usually. of my favorite, <laughs> yeah, is definitely disruptive. But um, <laughs> one of my favorite examples of, of, of disruptive innovation was uh, the video, video kiosk, right? So I'm I'm from the generation that remembers Blockbuster, that remembers going in and picking out a movie, right? <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> Captain Hunter. Right, so it's just me. I'm the only one in that age group. <laughs> My sons are 21 and 22, and they remember the joy of going to the Blockbuster video store and oh, wow, pick out okay. their favorite. Yeah, okay. they remember okay. going to Blockbuster, picking out a movie. Um, you know, they were small like kindergarten and, and i want to say before they even finished middle school you couldn't find a video store in sight yeah. um and, and we were in augusta georgia so maybe we were one of the you know last cities in the south that still had video stores but i call that a disruptive innovation right it's they didn't reinvent the wheel they they took what was already in the market which is video rental but they innovated it revolutionized it streamlined it of course by making it more convenient with kiosk and now that model, the old model, is not even existent anymore. Mm. Um, and so, you know, when when businesses are not structured to be able to respond to that type of disruptive innovation, you you could end up either losing a lot of market share or losing your business altogether. Mm. So um, it's you know you can imagine, I could imagine. I don't. I, I wasn't at the seat. <laughs> you know, I didn't have a seat at the table with a blockbuster and those major stores when they were trying to decide how they were going to retain their revenue. Um, so I can only imagine what our small business owners face and, and what challenges they have with trying to reinvent themselves when disruption hits their industries. Um, I, I was, I, I don't know if I mentioned it, when I was working for a small newspaper company, as you know, newspapers have had to reinvent themselves um, and uh, when digital uh, media became a thing in the what, late 90s into early 2000s. Um, and so that was a disruptive innovator for the media industry. And now instead of having broad general you know, content, media companies are having to do personalized content because that's what is more, um, that's what's more desired nowadays. Like we, we, want, we want personalized content coming to our phone. Most of the time we want, you, you can, I subscribe to Washington Post and New York Times and you can personalize that content. So gone are the days where the media company is going to just give you what they want. You have to, they have to figure out how they can deliver exactly what the readers want to see. And so, you know, just again, to relate that to our small business owners, um, most of the time, the most disruptive thing for most small business owners is technology and being able to grasp the technology that's, that's um, catering to grasp the technology that's allowing um, your desired customers to get the same product or service faster or cheaper or customized. And so um, I, I want to work with small business owners to be able to embrace technology and define, refine their business models when there's disruption coming to their industries too. I do remember the, the blockbuster situation. I, I was trying, while well, you're talking about that, I, I think that I was taking a class at the time and I, I never took a business class. I don't know what class it was, but we were talking about blockbuster and we were talking about how we were being kind of harsh and saying that all those C, COs should have been fired. CEOs and because Netflix it, it was doing this now at the time Netflix wasn't just I don't even know if they're still if they're still sending stuff through the mail I remember that yep. yeah yeah but but uh, Blockbuster took them a year to catch on to that and mm -hmm. 
and they just didn't keep up. And so you, we see what Netflix is now today, the, the, the behemoth that it is today. And the CEOs didn't see this, this coming and weren't forward thinking. I, I, it had to be a psychology class or something like that, just forward thinking and trying to think you know, ahead. And, and it was such a failure on their part. Um, I did not know, I subscribed to the New York Times and Washington Post as well. And I did not know you can, you can, you can personalize your mail. Personal, I mean, news. Mm-hmm. I, I did not know that. Uh, I'm not even sure if I like that quite honestly, because I want, I don't want them looking, knowing what I'm doing, what I'm reading and, and selling me things and all that kind of stuff. So I'd probably rather, I would probably rather have it the way that I have now, just so I can get a random selection. But, but I think that that's interesting. And I'm sure yeah. that even though I don't like it, I'm sure that many people out there do want their stuff tailored to their own personal tastes, but uh, right. Yeah, so I, right. I can definitely see that. Going back to the to the to disruption and and what you know could have caused them to not make the shift. Um, just watching how the the newspaper company I was working at, which was I guess it was a mid size, it wasn't a it had twenty seven newspaper twenty seven newspaper um, entities across the U.S. So pretty pretty sizable company. The biggest challenge for them was swapping those dollars because print was their cash cow, and they were trying to figure out. How to sh- I'm not really swapping the dollars, but um, shifting their business model so that the majority of their revenue was coming from online. That was a huge transition for them to make. And you also, uh, one of the biggest challenges psychologically was for the sales teams. The sales and marketing teams had to figure out how to shift their focus from selling print, which they were very comfortable with. I mean, you talk, talk to sales reps who had been selling print advertising for 10, 20 plus, you know, 15, 20, some over 20 years. Um, building a career around one particular aspect of the industry. So to have to shift and embrace something new, primarily the shift is hard when you have to embrace technology. Um, and even it wasn't necessarily just about an age thing. It was, again, you have business models built around this. Training is built around this particular model. So to have to shift the entire organization, that's a huge shift to make. And then you have to put the right incentives in place for people to stop selling the old model and sell according to the new model. So I was, I was actually part of the digital, um, the digital team. And so it was, it was quite an uphill battle to get everyone within a print side of the organization to shift their focus to, um, to selling online, incentivizing the sales reps to, you know, focus on online, to put more of the content online so that we could draw in the readers. So I was there through that shift for newspaper companies. It was, that was from, I want to say that shift started happening around 2007 or 8. So around 2000, 2005 and 6 and 7 and 8, um, it started to get really difficult all the way up to about 2013. So you have several years of, of, of them trying to shift their entire organization, their business models. Mm. Uh, listen, I, I understand that it's, that it's tough. I, I get that. Um, but you yeah. have to be, you have to hire persons like yourself or people who, who do this type of thing and try to look 10 years ahead. I, I have never taken a class that has not uh, uh, talked about what, where's, where is this field going to be in 10 years? I, I've never yeah. taken a class like that. <laughs> or every right. single class I've ever taken uh, has always talked about, okay, where, you know, I, I mostly focused in psychology. And so they've always said, okay, where, where is forensic psychology going to be in 10 years? Where's criminal psychology going to be in 10 years? Where's police psychology going to be in 10 years? That's all the, the class that I've ever taken. And, for the, like I said, for the CEOs of, and we, that, that had to be where we're talking about it, talking about Blockbuster, just saying, yeah. how do these people drop the ball like that? These people have paid million, millions of dollars and you let this other 
upstart company, li- almost literally come from, from the basement, right? It was like, <laughs> right. it was like a bunch of guys who started this in their basement or something along those lines, Netflix. And then the next thing you know, they're, 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 they are the, the standard of the industry. How does that happen? You know? So not being forward thinking. Not being forward thinking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, um, so you, you're an entrepreneur, uh, you started your own business and you also are a mother of a couple of boys, a uh, wife. So how are you finding time to juggle your, your business, your main business, your side business which hopefully one day will be your main business in family life. How are you doing that? You know, I literally just listened to a podcast um, last week by a woman who, who's doing it with her husband. I think I want to say it's called one big happy life or could just be, yeah, one big happy life. Um, and her recommendation was to actually employ different services and resources so that you can work on your business. Um, and one of the resources I'm going to employ is babysitting. <laughs> if if, so if I can't, you know, we, we all have Wait limited you have time. 20, you have a 21-year-old. You need to hire a babysitter? You got, yes, you got one built in. <laughs> all doing their own thing. Everybody, everybody's doing, they'll do it if I pay them. Right? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, so you remember, if you have to think back to when you were 20, the last thing you wanted to do was sit around and babysit some kids, if, unless you were getting paid for it. Uh, well, um, especially when they're my own. I didn't want to babysit them, but go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> 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 I carve out me time and that's, and that's exactly what my 20 they, I mean they're they're out you know like trying to explore the world and you know pursue their own passions and interests and so um you know we, they can watch them for grocery shopping trip here or there but you know right now with with COVID um they have that was one question you asked earlier is you know um how has COVID been a disruptor it, it's been an adjustment for everybody at you know each of us are in different phases of, um, you know, of our life. Like I have, a, I have an 11 year old, so she's in middle school and having to make that adjustment has been tough. And then the, the young adults are in job training programs. That's been an adjustment to have to do that online versus in person. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I, I'm, I'm finding that it's actually, it's actually been a very good thing for me, even trying to start my business. Um, you know, for most people, networking in person is the way you, you know, not only build partnerships, but you also are, you know, going to secure potential clients if you are able to attend conferences and events and, you know, fairs and, and wherever else that's happening right there in your local market to, to um, solicit business. Um, but I've, I've actually, I think, done a pretty great job embracing technology. And I have to stop and tell myself, okay, if this were in person, how many networking events do you really think you could cram in after work, balancing your, you know, mom duties in the evening and they'd be able to make it out for a happy hour or whatever event that probably would happen once a month if I'm lucky but because everything has been forced to go on to be digital I'm able to attend networking events and happy hours Um, I've joined uh, two associations one called mentor um, mentor makers to both have a become a mentee as well as mentor someone who's starting off as an entrepreneur Um, I've joined another organization called Eureka and it's a community where they provide resources like information on grants. And um, I, know, I know for sure is a mentor community um, underneath this larger community. Um, so it's mentoring resources. And um, it's one of the aspects. I literally just joined two weeks ago. But I am finding different options online, you know, similar to those uh, networking communities, um, meetup.com is full of events for small business owners, both locally and kind of more regionally. So it, it's, it's more convenient to attend these things online than it would be in person. And I'm also in the DC metro area. So with the traffic alone, I don't even have the appetite to attend more than about one event in person. 
whereas now that it's online, I can attend as many as I as, as many as I can get in in the time that I can allot for um, you know the time I'm going to allot for my small business. Um, and, and so what would make that easy for me, as I started to say earlier, is um, hiring a, a babysitter for the weekend. I would highly highly recommend that for some, you know working parents who are trying to figure out the the rhythm to a work work life balance. Even being at home, you still have that full time obligation. Um, and so if you're trying to get your side business off the ground or either grow that, employing resources is, is the best way to do that, to, to buy back your time. So, yes, I'm investing the babysitter money on this hand, but it's going to allow me to grow my business and eventually more income on the other hand. So that's nice. nice. <laughs> so nice. Yeah, no, that was, that was actually good, some good stuff. I took some notes there. <laughs> um. I'm getting some feedback. Is that is that me or? Uh, would you hear me opening my bottle? I was. No, I hear myself talking. Oh, I don't hear you. Sound fine. Okay, I'll I'll edit all this out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you um, sound There's no, no no disruptions. Okay, um, so talk about the the uh, scariness of of opening up a business. What what uh, what reservations did you have, or did you have any? I do. The, the, I, I still have the reservation, and I'm working through that. Um, one of my reservations is is uh, funding, right? It's, it's, it's you know, going from having the security and consistency of a paycheck to the inconsistency of no paycheck, if you, you know, depending on what your financial model is, can be scary. Um, I think for me, that that's that's my biggest concern is how can I ensure that I'm building building something that's going to be stable. So I know I have a great idea. I know there's a need for it, but what does that financial model look like? And so um, I am—I actually opened an account at a bank called Aslo. That's A-Z-L-O. I'm going to do a little plug for them. <laughs> they are a phenomenal bank for small, for, I don't, I want, I don't want to necessarily say for small businesses because I haven't explored enough of their site to see if they cater to just any business owners, but they definitely have business bank accounts. Um, their fees are their nominal fees. Um, they give you a lot of transactions. But if you log onto their website, now I, my primary bank is Bank of America. I also have a Wells Fargo account. Those banks focus on selling you, uh, those as in Wells Fargo, Bank of America, focus on selling you products if you have money to invest, right? We've got our CDs and our you know, uh, financial management accounts and um, all, all types of options for investment. But Aslo's website caters to small business owners. They actually provide monthly webinars that are free for you to attend. They provide um, a blog, and it's all information geared towards entrepreneurs. I have never seen a bank's website so focused on providing you with free resources um, to support you as a small business owner. One of the webinars that's coming up is focused on um, financial modeling and pricing, which is uh, an area that I want to you know, improve my, um, improve my knowledge gaps in, in, in how to build financial models and budgeting around um, a small business. So that's, that, that's the scary part. But I think a way to address that is just looking out, looking to organizations, rather it's a great bank like Aslo that has a lot of um, financial resources available for entrepreneurs or a small business, a small business administration and, or, and associations like that, that can give you the support you need. Um, I, you know, I want to, one of the things that makes me most excited about starting a business and helping other business owners is I really believe that we all should be able to be paid for our talents and our skills, right? Like if, you know, if we uh, have started out and, and built a career in any particular field, like I, I believe that you've become an expert. If you've 
spent 20 years doing something, you've built up knowledge and experience along the way and built up a level of expertise that someone started out in the field just doesn't have. I mean, you can you can learn some things in a book, but some things, good old school, like the good old school of hard knocks is going to teach you some things that you'll never learn in a classroom, right? By getting out there and actually doing it. And when you amass that much knowledge over the, over years, I, I don't see why you shouldn't be paid for that knowledge and an opportunity to be able to, you know, share that knowledge with other people for, for pay. And so if we can get paid for our knowledge and experience, I would encourage anyone that has the, um, you know, just has the confidence in themselves to be able to step out and do it. Um, I, I feel like, you know, you won't know everything that, like I, we were just saying earlier, technology changes at a at lightning speed. Like right now, I'm sure in Japan, they are probably five years ahead of us yeah, with certain yeah. technology, right? <laughs> that we're probably just now getting introduced here in the U.S. So technology is always going to come and advance things and make things easier, make things more efficient. So we, so, um, but that shouldn't, you know, having, having reservations about, um, having reservations about stepping out into a business because you feel like you lack knowledge in some areas shouldn't be a reason to not do it at all. And because there's so many resources that are available and organizations like, you know, your local chamber of commerce, chamber of commerce and small business or uh, small business organizations that are there to support you and provide you with those resources that you need. So I'm trying to overcome my own fears and reservations by, as, as I mentioned, I have two mentoring sessions coming up this month alone. Um, so I hope to partner with um, two individuals that have, uh, you know, tons of more experience than I do in building businesses and, you know, making them sustainable running businesses to try to fill in some of my gaps in my knowledge um, so that I can overcome my fears and, and be able to continue to build what I'm, what I'm working on today in, in my consultancy. Mm. Yeah, that's that's some interesting stuff. I definitely wrote down that as long. I'm going to check them out. Do you have to be oh, a part? Yeah. Of, do you have to be a part of that bank, or can somebody just tune into the web webinars? Or I, you know, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll actually send you a link to so an upcoming webinar so you can try it out. Um, well, no, actually, I'll send you one that was recorded, and let's see if it works for you because I, I've already attended one, and afterwards they'll send you a recording. So let's test it out and see if it, it plays for you, um, even, even though you're not a member, because it's just in an email. You don't have to log in. To open yeah. the, you shouldn't have to log in to open that webinar. I, I have no problem opening up an account. Um, mm-hmm. th- listen, this is a podcast. This we've given so many plugs to different businesses. They ought to, they ought <laughs> yeah. to give us uh, some uh, some money for this. I, I know. I should email them to say, "Hey, check out this podcast <laughs> where I gave you a great plug. Yeah, <laughs> give me some more discounts." <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, I want to talk talk about the you know for the for the. Uh, for the audience out there, they're not going to be able to see you. Well, for the audio audience, I mean, this is obviously going to go on YouTube as well. What um, they can I see that you are African American? You are African American. You are. You are. Oh, correct. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sometimes you have to ask. You're right. You have to ask. You never know. <laughs> so um, I, I want to talk to you about the importance of, of African Americans opening up businesses. Um, What's your thoughts about that? Is is it necessary? Should we just continue going along, hoping to get a job one day, or what, what's your thoughts about that? Oh, <laughs> that's a that's you know that's it. That's obviously a conversation that's close to my heart as a member of the African American community. Um, you know, so like I said, for 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 any for any for for person that's part of any ethnic community, I think it's important if you have a great idea, a product, a service that you think can improve other people's lives, if it's something that you're passionate about, um, because it's something you're going to live with for a while, if you're trying to start a business with it, you want to stick with it to ensure it's actually 
a, it, can, it can be a sustainable business. Um, so I think anyone should try um, business ownership because I think it, it brings you one step closer to that American dream, right? To be able to have autonomy, to be able to have, um, you know, financial freedom, to be able to build a legacy for yourself and possibly create something that you could pass on. You know, even if you don't have children, you, you know, you could build a business and be able to employ your nieces or nephews or your, you know, godchildren. So I think it's a great, it's, it's a great opportunity to be able to build a legacy and contribute to your community in, in some fashion. And why not do it with, you know, allowing other people to be able to sustain themselves with a job, right? I mean, I think America was built on the back of small businesses and small and, and entrepreneurs. Um, and so I think it just brings us one step closer to the American dream when you can own your own business. Um, but for African-Americans, what, you know, the, the, I am open to taking any client on, you know, no matter what race they belong to. Um, but I do have a, a particular interest in supporting small um, and supporting uh, business business owners of color, and do intend to start looking more heavily into platforms where um, small business owners are li listing themselves as a minority-owned business and, and target them when I'm when I'm moving to closer to the point where I'm going to be targeting um, my marketing and looking for small business owners that are of, of color, um, I think it's important for small, for people of color to start a business and invest in themselves and invest in our communities because not only are we a marginalized group in general, we are also marginalized in the business world. I, I know if, I, of course, watch <laughs> Shark Tank because I, I'm just, you know, passionate about business and obsessed with it. And it's always disheartening when I see um, people of color come onto the show and bring a product or service that they know speaks to our community and they don't necessarily get the wow factor and the, and the interest in being able to invest in them because a lot of times those investors don't believe that the product is going to sell. It's almost as if the vast majority of the predominantly white um, venture ca you know, capitalists don't study our community and don't know our buying power. It's only when something major happens that hits you know, the entire nation like Blackout Tuesday or some hashtag related event or something that makes the news, right? I remember a story where um, a woman had a product that ended up um, being sold in Target. Yes, and she, yes. Yeah, yes, you know yes, exactly yes, where yes, I'm going with this, yes, right? Yes. It's only when something like that happens that becomes national news that, the, you know, the rest of America will stop and recognize, oh, wait, like, black people have good buying power. They actually can make something happen with their dollars. Let, but but the response in, is, is not always... It's like it's only short-lived, you know. I think about, um, and it, this is a little off topic, a little off topic when you think about retail. But I think about Black Panther mm -hmm. and how they did not expect it to do as well. The marketing dollars, you know, they didn't get the same budget that that all the other movies um, received. And when we came out in droves, you know, across the globe to support that movie, it moved them, and they realized, hey, wait, we should we should probably invest more heavily into movies that are going to draw an African-American audience. So it's like, how many times do we have to show that, that we have buying power? How many times do we have to show that our dollars are worth it, that we're worth marketing to? I, I, I don't think we've arrived yet. And I think we, we, you can look at the aisles of, you know, your typical retail store, Target, CVS, where you see we have a small slither of a corner of our products. But when you go to your average black hair care store, we have a store full of products. But when we go to the major store, we've just got this one small section of, of an aisle that's also mixed with some other things. So we, we, <laughs> so we have just as many needs as, you know, a predominantly white um, market, 
but for some reason, you know, the major retails organizations and companies don't want to invest in us as a community. They don't want to carry our products in mass. They don't carry um, things that will cater to our to our to our preferences in mass. And so I think it's it's important for um, minority-owned business owners if you have a good product or service that you know speaks to our market, meets our needs. Like get out there, um, put your business out there. Uh, look for opportunities to get financing and, and, and funding and, and just try because we, we definitely want to support. We as a community should support our own businesses and, and we need our products to be out there. So if, if small business owners don't cater to us, then who will? Because we're, we're, we're sometimes ignored on a, on a larger scale when it comes to our, our products and services that we need. I totally agree with you, and I want I, I want that to stop in and of itself. I mean, I, I am <clears throat> I, I'm often frustrated by the same thing that you that you are, are talking about when you go into a store and you see a sliver of hair care products. Not that I need hair care products, but I do have to buy my. But own. our skin, our skin products are different. Our absolutely, you know, absolutely. Like say from sunscreen to lotion, like we absolutely. we have different. Absolutely. We have different needs. And it frustrates me, and I want to talk to you about this, and if you can answer this, as to why we don't, or, or yes, I, why don't we have more entrepreneurs? Why don't we support one another? I know this is going to be a loaded two, two three, uh, four I'm, part I'm question. Have to write this down. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to remember. So let's just go with, let's answers. just. Uh-huh. Why, 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 I mean, yes, CVS and all these places don't market in us and don't invest in us. So why don't we have it? And one thing that frustrates me is we've seen, and not, not so much recently, but before, uh, I think before COVID, I would constantly see videos of us, uh, our women, black women, uh, being a assaulted, accosted in uh, stores that were owned by Asian Americans, uh, selling our products to ourselves. And I've, I could not, can, could not, cannot understand why it is that uh, we would continue to go into stores and places where people don't respect us, don't respect our, and only thing they respect is our, is our dollars. How is it, how can we change this mindset of not only uh, uh, not opening up our own stores, but going to our own stores and patronizing ourselves? How can we, how can we do that? And then that's, it, it, that's such a loaded question. I think any question that you ask about our community and specific, it's there's so many factors layered into that answer. Um, so I'm only going to scratch. Like I'm, I'm not a sociologist, right? <laughs> like I'm just so my focus is business. Like I said, I've got 12 plus years in product management and now in technology. So I, I only know what I consume in the news as well as what I see and when I talk to other small business owners and I mentioned to you before you started recording I met my sisters for lunch both of my sisters are they're two and three years older than me and both are small business owners one owns a um a a, a child care center that she's actually about to um start franchising and then my middle sister has her own mental health practice that she and her husband um, have started. And so I asked them one of your questions at lunch. Like, I asked them one of your questions at lunch. I was just curious to know what they think. Um, and my brother-in-law, who I said, again, they're, they're, we're all kind of in the same generation, but they're, they're two years older than me. And I asked my brother-in-law, why, why do you think it's important for um, black people in particular to own, to own businesses? He said, um, you know, in, in, in America, we capitalize on one another. There's always, if you, look, if you think about a pyramid, he's like, there, there's always a group above us who's capitalizing on us and mm-hmm. we need to get in the, get in a place where we are in business for ourselves and taking up all the things that I just mentioned about having our own products our own services and and, and supporting ourselves he said but what's you know one, one 
other thing we have to take into consideration is when you look across our communities, how many of us own small businesses? How many, we, we always think about um, getting a good job and being able to take care of ourselves for today and invest in tomorrow. But we don't think about what something's, what our lives could look like 10 years from now and what, what we can invest in that's going to put us in a better position 10 years from now. Sometimes we are so focused on doing what we need to just vibe today. And, and be able to pay our bills for tomorrow and eat for tomorrow that we don't have enough resources to think about five years from now or 10 years from now for that matter. A lot of you know young African-Americans come out of high school and some have to get a job immediately, some forego college to help take care of, you know, help sustain their family or sustain their own livelihood because there's not enough investment in, um, it, there's not enough money in, you know, for, for available for them to go to college or there's not enough money for their family to be able to afford for them to go off to college. They need that additional income coming in. So when you're in a, if you're, if you're not say when you're in a community as if no one in our communities have businesses, but if you're in a community and in an environment where you don't see small business owners, you don't see representation, you don't know what you can aspire to. You don't know those opportunities are available for you. Um, you know, I had my daughter watch. She did that. It's a documentary on Netflix that's focused on, um, African-American women who have started their own businesses and hearing each of those women's stories was inspiring to my daughter. And one young lady in particular said her uncle, as I said, you know, you can own a business and then employ your niece and nephew. Her uncle owned a store and allowed her to manage it. And then it, it, it gave her the bug. She decided, Hey, I, I actually can do this for myself. And she talked about the journey that she went to, to start selling her own cosmetic products. But if she would never have that exposure, if she was working, let's say at a fast food place that wasn't owned by family, what would give? What would have given her the vision to have her own business, right? So if you don't see it, if you if you don't see yourself in those positions, if you don't get the opportunity to run a store and manage a store or see what it's like to be a business owner, it's, it, it, it's I guess it would probably be more challenging to to think in along those veins because you're going to be thinking about what you what you see people attain and aspire to around you. Everybody's going to college and getting a good job and. I'm just going to focus on trying to get a good job because that's what that's what I see in my environment. And so until you're open up to those opportunities, it's just a lack of knowledge. Um, I'll put a little, another little plug in for another organization I'm passionate about, which is Girl Scouts. Um, my daughter's been in it since she was five and she's now 11. And they focus on teaching young girls how to be entrepreneurs, starting with what's <laughs> yeah, I, I never thought about the, the, te- the lessons that are built into that little cookie business, but they actually take the girls through a program, a training program, they call it Cookie University, but they teach them the basics of marketing, of financing, of sales, um, of structuring and working with your team. Like those girls are learning how to be mini CEOs each time they're selling cookies. So when those girls come by your doorstep, or I guess now online, because everything's going to be digital due to COVID, um, you're supporting the future future business owners, possibly future business owners, if those girls decide to venture out, they've got those foundational skills. If my daughter were not in Girl Scouts, I don't know what would have exposed her to that because it's not like you learned that in school. And again, depending on what community you're in and what people are aspiring to around you, what people attain around you, you don't get that exposure. So it's a lack of knowledge and a lack of exposure, which is why we don't have but so many businesses. Um, and then another layer to that is you know, I watched another documentary about the hair care industry, and I can't, I can't remember the name of it. I, I just thought of it, so I would have researched it in advance to remind myself. But in this documentary, it was it was focused on hair care um, 
businesses that, that produce a hair care product and the challenges they go through to try to market their product, whether it's a, an, a finishing product or a hot tool, unfortunately, um, if they try to go overseas to some of the Asian countries to get um, a vendor to support their product and make it, in this doc, in this particular documentary, like I said, I didn't research it, um, but what I what I watch in the documentary is that a lot of times they are shut out of that industry. Black black business owners. I, I saw that. I saw that same documentary. Did you see that one? I did yeah. see this. Yep. Yes. And so and if you're met with those, if you're met <laughs> with those type of roadblocks and challenges, it makes it all the more difficult for you to break in if if the vendors aren't willing to work with you if you're not of a certain race or a certain background. So it's, we, we've got, like I said, you got layers there. You've got lack of exposure, lack of knowledge, sometimes roadblocks and being blocked and kept out of, of, of certain businesses. They don't want to partner with you if you maybe aren't part of their community or I don't know if, it's, if there's a layer of racism there where they just don't want to partner with particular business owners because they're black. So it's, it's, it makes it all the more challenging if you have to dig and find a partner that's willing to take you on because, of, you know, be, because you're African-American. Um, so yeah, that's, let me take a break. <laughs> take, no, take a listen, break. I, I could let you yeah. speak about that all day. I mean, it was really, really phenomenal what you just said. And I agree with you. I did see that documentary. Um, um, and I, and that, and it bothered me, uh, because, you know, we have such a hard time and that's, <laughs> that continued to infuriate me mm-hmm. about, um, about what what was what's going on you know within our communities and how can we continue to go to people or be try to break into an industry rather than start our own industry right so if we can't break into the hair care line uh as far as i think it was about wigs right wigs and and uh, mm-hmm. i remember them shaving off uh, uh women's hair in india and they did it as a like a religious um sacrifice or something like that in india but yet it was really they were selling it to us here in america or something along those right lines. But you got so, you have to be to find manufacturers to produce your product at mass. You know, it's like you you can have a product. There are lots of women who are and and young men who are making products right there at home in their kitchen. Yeah. But at some point, you're going to want the backing of you know vendors or companies that are going to help you brand it. That are going to help you scale it. You you, it, yes. you you can you can sell stuff you know locally in in your community. But at some point, you're going to want to scale, especially if it's a good product and it's popular. You got to have the resources to scale. And a lot of times, those those companies that allow other products to scale are not necessarily friendly to African Americans. Yes, and that's 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 a big issue that I'm having. And this is where we talk about uh, the legacy and history of slavery, legacy and history, particularly of Jim Crow, where all these banks and all these real estate markets and everyone be, was getting all this money, locking us out. And now here we are. I would I, I would assume that you would agree. In 2020, we are much freer, much. Uh, oh, yeah. much, much more uh, have a greater access to capital and all this type of thing. And we're still trying to break into this market. And a lot of it has to do, some of it has to do with racism and some of it just has to do with, listen, this is our market and we don't want anybody else breaking into it. Right. So I, right. If, I, if I'm Asian, I'm saying, okay, I'm going to sell to, this is what, this is what we have to keep our growing, our, our, our money's going and our everything like that. So why should I allow another people or another, uh, person from an either even if it's another family to break into that which we have going on here so but we got to do it and this is where we're, we're unable to pool our money unable to right if i if you wanted to do hair care and maybe i sell pencils uh, right so if i can invest in you maybe my pencil business is growing really well but if i don't have enough 
as you said, market and capital and all that type of thing to, to be able to invest in you, then I can't invest in your hair care and then you can't right. buy it from me and all that kind of stuff. So this is, this is where that inter, intersection comes in at. When people talk That's about, right. you know, get over slavery and get over Jim Crow, this is why we can't get over it. This is some of the reasons that we have been locked out of it. Okay, we should, be, we should get over to the, to the extent of our, mental, of our mental capacity to say we can't do it. But right. Think, you know, we should get over that. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. But when people say, how come black people don't just own their own business and own their own stores in their community, this, that, and the other? Well, here are some of the reasons and, and reasons why. It's one thing, as you mentioned, to sell something globally, but CVS isn't thinking, it, it isn't thinking, I'm sorry, locally. Uh, CVS isn't thinking locally. They're thinking globally, right? They want to sell right. stores all over. And so uh, Hunter's uh, mom and pop's the nail salon or whatever uh, should, should, should be thinking the same way. And so I don't want to just sell in my community, uh, you know, to the four or five or, or, you know, or 50 or hundred customers that I can get, I want to take over our market. And so this is, this right. is what becomes the problem. Yes. Money, yeah. Money, you need money to scale. <laughs> money. Money, and, money. and lots of these, you know, when you, when you read articles in like Ford magazine and wire magazine, lots of um, what, what are usually white young male CEOs who run a startup, they're able to get funding like that. And yeah. statistics have shown time and time again that black business owners do not get the same amount of funding, do not get the, the percentage of, of funding that's awarded to us is much smaller than what's usually funded to someone who's white and male. So when you can't get funding, when you don't have access to credit to be able to scale your business, you're going to be limited into how much market share you can, you can actually, uh, you know, get. Absolutely. I think we talked about Netflix. I'm not sure about that, but I'm pretty sure it started up and, you know, just some guys just thinking about stuff and all these other people, you know, Facebook and all these things, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not only what you know, but who you know and how you can get marketing and thing and everything like that. So, so this is, this is a big problem. Um, but I, but I applaud you for, for going on with it. Um, what's, you and I are selling a service, right? So there's a difference between selling services, right? You and I are selling yes. consult, consulting services rather than um, uh, products, product. right? Mm-hmm. So, so can you talk about just the difficulties of someone who wants to open up a product business, whether it's opening up a store or opening, uh, opening up a restaurant, a store that sells fingernails or, or whatever? Just Can you talk about that particular difficulty? I'm sorry, the difficulty, you want me to just... Go uh, talk about the difficulty of product versus service. Correct. Yes. Oh. Yes. Um, I think it's my assumption is if you if you are able to at, um, acquire funding, whether it's through bootstrapping or you know with funding from um, family and friends raising it, um, once you're able to get funding, it, it's a little bit easier, I think, to sell a product because you are able to give samples to people. They're able to test your product. And they can actually see the tangible results of what you're trying to sell. Either visually it's appealing to somebody or it's not. And then once you're able to get um, the product in people's hands, sometimes through, through um, giving away a little bit of that product, um, you, you, you know, similar to the larger companies, you get a brand ambassador, you get word of mouth, and then you, you're able to um, acquire more, biz- more customers. With the service, it's a little bit challenging because – a service pretty much is us selling, in our case, we're selling knowledge, right? We have to be able to first identify who needs that knowledge, right? Who can benefit from this knowledge? And then you have to refine your pitch to the point where people understand what knowledge are you actually trying to sell me and do I need it? Um, 
And so being able to find the, the, the right market fit, which I know everybody has to do, whether you're selling a product or service, market fit is essential um, so that you are targeting the right people. So for us, it's um, when you don't have a, a service that, you know, is brought, I'm trying to think of a service that is more broadly ap applicable to just anyone. Um, it, you know, even, even if I were selling, you know, but childcare services. Everybody doesn't need that service. Some people's kids are too old and some people don't have kids at all, right? But with consulting, we're selling usually a very specific targeted service. And so it's, there is a challenge in being able to identify your target market because it's, it's not a broad fit. You know, so you only have so many people that can use that, product, that service. Um, and then in addition to that, as I was saying, in addition to, you know, you being able to find your fit, you also have to be able to sell your service. And, and help people connect to why they need the service. Um, you know, for small business owners, you're very selective in what you're going to spend your money on, right? You know, uh, you know, you need, you have your tangible needs, like I need hardware and I need um, storage or rather it's, you know, physical storage for your products and you need um, technology, you know, you need resources. Like I, I know I need help if I need more people to do my job, then I know I have to hire resources. Sometimes small business owners don't think about hiring consulting and um, support in terms of helping them to manage their business. And so getting people to stop and recognize that they don't know everything, right? Because we don't all, you know, you can't know everything. You're not going to know everything. Or getting people to stop and evaluate if what you're doing is working. If it's, are you seeing the results you want? So actually stopping, getting people to stop and do an audit of their, of their, of their business and the approach they're using and getting them to, to recognize where they may need help or could use a different way of doing things, that's a really challenging thing to do and pitch to someone in a matter of minutes, right? If I were selling this, you know, survey cream to you, I could pitch this to you literally in less than two minutes, right? This That's this for me. Look at my results. This could work for you too. Much easier sell than, hey, Captain Hunger, have you thought about the way you connect with customers and how you are using, you know, technology to refine, you know, to re retain people in your pipeline and get them through your, to be able to, you know, refine that, you know, down to a point where I can convey the message to you, help you identify that you have a problem and I can meet that need. That's challenging in and of itself, right? But then to convince people that they need to act now, pay for your service, and it's going to produce a result for them it's hard to get people to make some people to make that connection. So I think that's the difference. Very good. Very good. Um, so I'm a couple more, just a couple more questions here. Sure. So uh, talk to people out there who are thinking about becoming an, an entrepreneur, have a business idea or have an, a wealth of knowledge, as you said, 20 plus years of experience, talk to them and convince them to take up their dreams, open up that, that, or maybe they just hate their job and they have something else where they can crochet or whatever. Uh, talk to them and just to, and encourage them to open up their, just go for their dreams and open up that business. Um, so the, the question, when, when you say talk to them in terms of in, in, encourage people to step out and do it. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yes. So yes, absolutely. I think if you have a, 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 a product or service. Um, let, me, let me actually take a step back. So I have I have a friend, um, you know, just a few years older than me. She's got two young young adult children. They're in their early twenties. One has been fixing bikes on the side for years. Really good at it. Um, they charge people a couple bucks here and here. But she never thought about turning it into a business. The other daughter 
has just a, it, like a really good eye for design, like interior design and, and, and um, putting things together. So she, she actually puts together these customized baskets, whether it's um, for uh, a sympathy basket or for welcoming a new baby or like a, it's a special occasion basket. But when you see it, it's, so, it's, it's uh, catered to like the specific need and it's beautiful, and she she has a great just a great eye for putting things together. I've I've tried to put things together from Pinterest, and it comes out looking like a five year old's done it. So it, it she actually has <laughs> she actually has very good skill. Um, but I've been talking, I've been coaching both of them via um, an app called Marco Polo, which allows me to send little video chats and encouraging them to actually start a business. To you know contact you know go to the website for their local um, to, you know chamber of commerce and and see what the requirements are for getting um, a business license in their area so that they can start a business because what they what they don't realize and what some people realize don't realize who are uh, and you know engaging and indulging themselves in a passion or a hobby is that having a small business allows you to get take advantage of certain tax benefits and perks that you aren't going to have available to you as a regular employee you know filing with the w-2 so it's it's like our country, you know, it, we educate our kids in school to go to college, get a degree, get a great job, and then the more money you make, the actu- the more money the country expects of you in forms of in terms of in, in the form of taxes. Your taxes go up, the more your income goes up. But it's almost as if our tax structure is created to be more helpful to business owners than it is for everyday employees who are striving and working hard to get it at least just in the in the middle income range. The more you make, the less you're actually going to get back in your pocket <laughs> from the government. But when you start a business, there's all types of perks and opportunities that open up to you as a small business, not just when it comes to filing your taxes, but when you think about um, shopping at just simple places like Costco, there's, a, there's always um, a different level or a plan for uh, small businesses. So there are lots of perks throughout you know, the retail community that, are avail- that becomes available to you as a small business owner. Um, there's lots of usually grants and opportunities that are available to you to get adequate funding. Um, and then there are, again, tax benefits galore to having a small business. So I would encourage people to think, to, to think in that manner is if you think you're going to ever become wealthy working for someone else, it's a slim chance. It's a slim chance you're going to really see the wealth. I mean, unless you really study the stock market and understand investment and know how to save your money, well, the vast majority of us that, that, that don't have the investment bug, um, it's, it's really hard to see your money grow when you're working for someone else. But there's more opportunities available for you to create wealth and create a lasting legacy um, and, and have that autonomy, autonomy and freedom for your life that you aren't going to get working for someone else if you were to step out and start your own business. As you were talking, I was thinking about a friend of mine who... Um She's on Instagram. I think it's Party Galore on Instagram. And she's got this, uh, she does uh, parties for people. And the pictures that she puts up of this different decorations and designs. And it's really, it's, it's really phenomenal. And I'm really, really proud of her because she's, she took a talent of hers, as you mentioned, with, the, with that interior designer there. Uh, and, just, and just made something of it. And it's doing a great and successful business. And it's just awesome. Uh, I'm actually going to make sure that she listens to this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. 
Take your talents and your hobbies and turn it into a business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so that's how we can see. I don't know. You know, we're recording this before the presidential election, but that's how, you know, Trump has paid $750 in taxes, allegedly, uh, you know, because he knows how to take care, take advantage of these different tax breaks and all that that are geared towards businesses. Right. So you exactly. Can be, mad, be mad at him if you want. But. You know, he's he's doing something, something along. Exactly. The that, yeah, this new tax structure is definitely more business um, small is is more friendly to businesses than it is to everyday Americans. Absolutely. Um, so, how can people get in touch with you if they're if they're interested in your services? And can you just talk about your services a little bit and just a little bit more? And and how can people get in touch with you and things like that? Sure, absolutely. Um, so, I am in the process of working with a website developer and brand strategist. So, my website will be K more kmoregroup.com will be live um, in the, toward the end of January. But for now, people can get in touch with me on um, I'm on LinkedIn as Karen Elaine Moore, and I also have an email, which is kmoregroup. The group is actually GRP for now. So kmoregroup at gmail.com. Um, but I am specifically targeting businesses, business, small business owners who have already launched their business, know that they have a proven idea or model and I'm looking to consult with them and help them grow that business model so that they can increase their market share and increase their revenue. Very good. So I hope that your emails and uh, phone calls and LinkedIn are flooded with people who want to expand their entrepreneurial business. I wish you the greatest and best of success. And thank you for coming on Captain Hunter's podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much, Captain Hunter. This was wonderful. I would love to come back again. Oh, you definitely Thank will. You. Be. You definitely will. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. You enjoy your Sunday. Okay, you too.